Hi, I'm Andre and you're listening to Inside Remote, a podcast where we share stories from remote work experts and remote companies who are building new era of distributed work. This time we're talking with Simon Harrer. He's an engineer at heart who also wrote a great book about remote mob programming. Simon and his team practice remote mob programming every day and this episode he will tell us more why this approach has been so successful for them and why you should try it too. Tune in and enjoy the show. Hi Simon, welcome to Inside Remote. I am really happy to have you here. So our today's guest is coming from Europe this time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more on where do you come from? I'm from uh, Germany and uh, uh, born in a very small town south of Nuremberg. Perhaps you know. Ah, okay. So like in the Bavarian region. Yes, uh, where the great breweries are. <laughs> <laughs> great. So, um, yeah, to, to ask you, like, for a start, so uh, how did you start working as a remote uh, worker, Simon? Um, when, I, when I joined um, InnoQ, like, almost uh, one and a half years ago, um, I, I, I was living really remotely. I didn't live where the offices are and the customer was... Uh, somewhere else so it's basically obvious that i that i should work from home and the story was for us that we in a in a team of three we just had to start a project where the customer was in stuttgart which is um, about four hours away from my home place and so we we tried to come up with a good way to work together as a distributed team and this is uh, when the mob programming also started. Like the backstory basically is we we wanted to start the project um, by developing the first services together to get a common understanding on architectural decisions or get a common grasp of the code style. All these things, so that when we later um, do our own things, grab the tickets by ourselves, that we we are well. That the code doesn't look too different. That was that was the general idea, and well, this, these uh, f- first few weeks we did mob programming together on site, basically, mm-hmm. and this felt so great that we said, okay, let's let's now head home in our home offices and try to keep that up. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting uh, to share. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the rules of mob programming and like what is it? Uh, what are the benefits of it? Like, so um, basically, uh, mob programming itself is, um, as uh, Woody Sewell said, it's um, yeah, working or uh, creating the same thing at the same time in the same space on the same computer. So everybody. So looking at a single screen and there's a single keyboard. So that's the general idea. In the remote space, it's a little bit different um, because you don't, the same space is the same virtual space, actually. And the same computer is more like the same screen. But it's still the same thing at the same time. One thing which immediately pops on my mind is like, how do you justify the fact, like, let's say that you have uh, three people or four people working uh, at the, at one screen and, like, solving one problem at a time? Is it really, like, faster to work all together, like, all the time? Or, you know, you could split, like, three or four uh, projects, like, per one person, like, especially, like, one project, one person, 
and then you know have four different things working at the same time yeah excellent question i think a lot of people um have this question in mind when they when they first hear about mob programming especially the people that have to pay for the development teams and that i think the answer is typically um you optimize for time to market so what that what that means is you optimize that when a feature is well described or someone wants the f a specific feature um the the feature is developed and brought into production as quickly as possible and then the team moves on to the next feature so it basically minimizes um this time and you get features much quicker so that's a, that's the main reason <clears throat> i would say for for a product owner for instance because it Features just keep constantly um, being pushed in, into production. And the other thing is, um, what, what more programming does is it minimizes the typical waste that happens in development, being it um, bugs. So when you, when you work, uh, when three people look at the same screen, a bug is much less likely to happen than if you do pull request, code review, Uh, thing because a lot more people look at this, at the code and not just I don't know two two people that that sign off that that pull request and you also you minimize a lot of other things as well for instance constant uh, context switching so this typical thing is where you create you get you grasp your ticket then you develop something push it to a branch create a pull request and then hand it off for a review and Well, what do you do until that review, well, happens? You grab another task and, and have a context switch. And the one that reviews your pull request has to make a context switch as well whatever, from whatever thing uh, this person did before. So it's, this, this is no longer necessary. But it's just two examples where, where it really um, is, is much better. And what, what would you say that it's ideal, like a team size for... Uh... For working like uh, as mob programming, like I think I'm talking about remote mob programming here because I think mm -hmm. it's different in in mob programming. Um, when you, when you do mob programming in yeah on site in the same room, because there's a there's a cost in in mob programming, and that is in mob programming you typically rotate who shares the screen every x minute minutes. So, for instance, when um, we um, uh, rotate every 10 minutes, and it's kind of this rule of thumb that you that everybody should share the screen uh, within I don't know 30 to 45 minutes. And so, for for us with our 10 minute rotation, the best team size is uh, three to four people because. Well, three is the minimum for a mob. Otherwise, it's it's a pair with only two. And well, uh, this this other limit, this forty to forty five, thirty to forty five minutes rotation, um, yeah, limits it uh, on the on the upper side as well. So I would say three to four people is the best for remote mob programming. Great. And you said like there's one keyboard to be used uh, when you do mob program. So how do you actually do it? Like when you do work remotely, like what kind of tools do you use uh, to make that happen? Well, so first of all, you divide the mob into the typist, the, the one uh, person that shares the screen and the rest of the mob. 
and the rest of the mob discuss uh, the, the the solution to a specific problem and they give out commands for the typist to type in so everybody can basically use their own machine their own environment development environment for typing everything in and for for screen sharing um, we use zoom which worked well quite quite well for us but the thing is how do you how do you handle this handover so after a 10 minute interval we, we rotate we change the typist so for that we use um, git well because every all of our code is stored in in a git repository and after these 10 minutes we create a a work in progress commit on a separate branch. And it's just a commit without, we, we ignore whether the tests are green and we just take what's currently in the, um, in the working tree and just commit it into this, uh, into this branch. And the next person then checks specifically that um, branch out and continues working from that state. Mm-hmm. And when we are done, we merge it back into master. And, and for what, that, we developed our own a little CLI tool that automates this. Okay, that's cool. Um, and how do you, is there like any option to use like this uh, collaboration IDEs? Like, for, for example, I don't know, this like multiplier kind of uh, uh, um, IDs, which help you like, you know, you have like one code editor where everybody can write in. Um. We, we tried that actually, and this this led to uh, even worse performance. Interestingly, okay, um, because with the approach using screen sharing, you force everybody to to use this mob programming style. So you have the rest of the mob that only discuss, and the the rest of the mob ha- has to communicate through language, through words, the typist what what the typist should do. And with these collaborative IDEs, you had a um, shortcut. You could just um, edit yourself. You could circumvent the typist. Mm-hmm. And um, this this really this happened. It's really hard to get the the group disciplined. <laughs> Maybe it's just us. <laughs> I don't know. And um, another thing is that um, when everybody uses their own, like the IDE, it, the IDE no longer forces you to look at the same thing. With a shared screen, everybody's really looking at the same piece of code mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and can discuss that. Ah, I see. So I'm, I'm not a fan of these um, collaborative IDEs. I think they are uh, really good for pair programming, but I think in mob programming, I, I wouldn't use them. Definitely interesting to see that, like, you know, better to, uh, to have... Uh... Like the other way, do it like just basically committing the code and then working on one branch altogether than uh, just by using collaborative IDs. You mentioned uh, a remote uh, mob programming that uh, is uh, good to use the uh, uh, camera also when you when you do more programming. Why is that so? Like, what if if you you know type and uh, talk through audio? Why do you need camera as well? Mob programming or uh, remote mob programming is all about communication. And you communicate, of course, with your language, but you also communicate a lot with your face, with your mimics and uh, gestures and uh, like nonverbal communication. I think it's, t- it's, uh, it's the term. And 
this this really helps to get your point across in in the discussions in the rest of the mob uh, when you raise your eyebrow or I don't know you make a a grimace I, it really it really helps um, to get a feel um, how, how the other meant how the other people in your your team meant their words and I think this is really really crucial because remote mob programming is all about communicating in your team. And yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, because the question I'm asking is like, I've uh, heard from many uh, companies such as GitLab or um, Tandem or the other ones who are talking about the importance of video communication as well. Um, because uh, on video, we also, yeah, we talk visually and express ourselves. So it definitely helps uh, to improve the barrier of uh working um uh, working remotely where you don't have like a uh, how to say you're not physically in the same room and uh visual communication uh has a, a lower output uh through the through remote uh, communication than being in person um yeah interestingly it's it's also important where you put your camera so what we what we suggest is putting the camera on your primary screen so other people can immediately see if you look at other screens or are away from keyboard, and then they can relate to that. For instance, if someone always looks away, you know this person is currently distracted and um, will not well participate really in the discussion at the moment. Doesn't doesn't really help to ask them anything because they're not focused on the problem at the moment. Okay, I see. Um, yeah, that's. Uh... That's helpful, like, as uh, you can also see the face and the reactions of, like, when somebody communicates on something. So that's definitely uh, an interesting um, piece. Um, coming back to uh, to working on the code and, like, more programming, how do you, ha like, how does more programming, like, handle, let's say, different coding styles and approaches to solving issues? You know, is this a challenge or... Everybody tries to, you know, go to the same path um, through the same style, or how does this work? Well, I think um, in, in in mob programming, you have a phase at the beginning of a project, or when you start uh, with a with a team, that you find your own code style. So the team basically has has to find has to find that um, th there will be a lot of discussions in the beginning. I think, um, depending on how how you name things, how you how you structure your code, and and a lot of these these different aspects, and they will come up very quickly in the beginning, and they will be um, less and less often um, later on, because basically the mob creates their own knowledge and how they. How previous services have been written and how they how the mob basically wants to um, implement new services. Maybe an interesting fact we we tried um, to employ because it's a mostly Java code we write. We use the Google Java format um, code style tool, which means that it's a it's a, a fire and forget tool. You can't customize it. You can't change anything. It's basically we had one discussion. We agreed on that tool, and since then, really every code formatting discussion is now gone because you can't really customize the tool. It's really just take the tool, format your source code, 
and and that's it and this really um helped a lot i see oh well, uh, that's uh, that's good uh, practice to hear so talking about more programming like definitely solves the issue for developers um but do you do you see any other um how to say do you see any other uh, departments where the same uh, how to say concepts could be used to uh to have a better output and better products out there is like uh, do you see any connections or this is very specific to to developers only i think it it works really well if you if if you collaborate intensely on on specific things um I think if you work together on on a single artifact and everybody has to chime in to help make it work, it sounds really abstract, <laughs> but but I think it um, it it might it might work very well um, for for testing, for um, product design, thinking out like product ideas. Or maybe even when you create legal documents, so other people learn how how to write them, or to consider. I think there's a lot of lot of um, different different aspects. I think the main important thing is that that you have a one single document, everybody to have a good result on. Um, coming to that, like since you said, like you know, you share a screen and work together on one uh, product. Is this uh, uh, also a good way to help let's say um, is this a good way to help uh, junior um, uh, co-workers uh, advance like through to working and basically educating them and mentoring them through that style of work I think it's the best way actually so I, even I would I would recommend uh, people coming from college or whatever uh, maybe or people that that want to learn uh, let's let's rephrase that people that want to learn as as quickly as possible should join a team that's doing mob programming because you not only learn a lot about technology and and how to write services but you learn a lot about how other people in your team think how they approach a problem how they try to figure out a solution how they compare different solutions and because everybody has to basically expose their thoughts because you have to argue so much and you always have to reason why you're doing that and not that way you learn so much along the way and this is really invaluable for for people that that want to learn and and especially for for juniors one important question like how, how long can you work together like as this like what would be your recommended hours i would say try to go for six hours a day but really plan for breaks because it can become really exhaustive mm-hmm. if you if you forget breaks and that's basically what happened to us in the beginning because it is such a great feeling if you get into this flow of more programming and just churn out feature and feature after another and it, it feels great and you forget the breaks and then it's really you're really wasted after a few weeks mm-hmm. and um, so we learned it the hard way and now we really 
really take uh, enough breaks so it's, so it's fine and we can uh, keep up that pace and how often should the breaks be how long should the breaks be like what's uh, the the way like you schedule breaks well, we have one one hour lunch break and because it kind of divides the six hours uh, in in half and then we try to make uh, a break like every 60 to 90 minutes of around I don't I would say 15 minutes so 15 minutes and then it's like a break off the screen where you do something else no like everybody is grabbing coffee going away from screen and it's funny because everybody keeps their camera on okay so so everybody also knows when when everybody's back again so that's that's an important thing we only mute our microphones uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's it's really funny because then all screens are empty and then when you come back um you can see whether the others have already arrived or whether you can just I don't know, grab grab something to eat or a snack uh, real quick because no one's there already. Okay, yeah, that's uh, definitely <laughs> uh, interesting. But but like especially why I was uh, asking you so many questions because I feel it's very important as most of us who already worked remotely had this, uh, how to say, call fatigue um, that after, let's say, two hours of call, you get like really, um, uh, really tired and you you cannot compare two hours uh, of meeting on a call compared to one in person. It's like it's uh, uh, you're you're much more focused on the on the call one, and it gets you more exhausted. So, like planning breaks sounds like a very important aspect of this. Otherwise, you get burned out very quickly, especially if you do it like several hours a day, or just being tied to a screen and not planning any breaks. I think I think there's a there's a there are two two things I want to mention here. First, we we have bought good equipment, so we all use a Yeti microphone, actually a podcaster microphone, but it allows you not to wear a headset. This is really helpful. So you can work from home without a headset and have still great audio because it filters out the echo and everybody else has a great audio as well. So it really uh, reduces background noise and these, these things that give you a headache. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's also one part of call fatigue. And the other thing is that we rotate and the typist is in a, like everybody becomes a typist every, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes because we rotate every 10 minutes. And the typist, when, the type, when, you're, when, when you are the typist, you have, um, you're in a mode of mental relaxation because you only... Um, are at the end of a command chain. You, you don't have to think because the, the others are thinking. You are just executing commands they issue to you. And this is relaxing. You can breathe a little bit because sometimes they don't have commands for you and you just sit there and, I don't know, look outside the window at the nice uh, colors of the leaves. But it's it, that's really helpful and um well, after these 10 minutes, you join the rest of them up again. And now you're part of um, coming up with a solution. That's great. That's great to hear. And uh, talking about, uh, let's say, if there would be a team who would like to start out with um, remote mock programming, what would be your most important few tips, uh, you know, so they would start? And what would be the start? Um, first, I would say just try out, just start. If everybody is on board, I don't think it works if you have resistance in your team. 
So uh, like everybody should, should want to try this out, then just try it out. Mm -hmm. The other comment is we've written up our experiences on remote mock programming. There's a free ebook you can download. We can maybe link it in the show notes and um, just maybe read these, uh, I don't know, 30 pages to get a grasp how, how we are doing it. Maybe you, you want to, to do something similar. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, last but not least, I, I recommend just grab a screen sharing tool, maybe Zoom, maybe something else, and just uh, try to start and see how it works for you. Okay, okay, I see. That's great. And you were mentioning the hardware uh, you guys use, like the hardware is important as well to this. What's your stack of hardware you use for this and what's your also software stack? So basically hardware-wise, we have this Yeti microphone. Um, we have a Logitech camera, which is sitting on, on top of our screens. Mm -hmm. So... We are looking right in the camera when we're talking to each other. And well, we use uh, hardware-wise, we also use um, iPads and the Apple Pencil for remote um, whiteboard um, drawings, because sometimes you don't code. Sometimes you have maybe conceptual work where a picture says much more than a dozen words or a thousand words. So, for that, we use the, the, the Apple Pencil and the iPad, and we use Miro, which is a collaborative whiteboard uh, you can have online as well. Great. Um, yeah, that sounds uh, like you guys are very well prepared in terms of uh, hardware and software for like uh, having uh, using good tools for um, remote work. Um, to ask you, where could people read more about uh, the remote mock programming? I think just head over to our remote mock programming page, homepage. It's remotemockprogramming.org. And you can find a lot of resources there. You can find out which hardware you, we use, which software we use, and mm -hmm. the, the essentials on how we perceive remote mock programming um uh, works and and how, how it's successful for us and it may also be successful for you yeah that's uh, that's the plan i guess uh, it would be uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting perspective and as you mentioned like if um, it, it gets everybody who work on the same problem like you get to learn from each other which is really interesting and very hard to do so in remote work as uh seen like most of the companies don't even uh, hire juniors or like let's say less, less experienced people for the role but this type of uh, uh, working actually uh, helps that and gets people to learn improve and um, do their work maybe maybe another point which is for me very important but because i'm a very social person and previously i enjoyed having my colleagues in the office, going to lunch together, having all these the small talk together, and I had a really feeling when I when I switched to a remote job that that I I lose that I that I feel alone at home, mm -hmm. and that's where remote mode programming shines for me because it it's like I'm home but not alone. It's really it really feels like being in the same virtual room virtual office room with my colleagues 
from from this project i see and this is this is making a yeah making it very it's it's like i always say um, that i don't want to work differently anymore and that's basically why i can be at home and see my children uh, in the evening and in the morning and maybe during lunch break and during during my working hours i can work with awesome people um yeah somewhere else <laughs> and and still feel that that we are in the same room well that's great actually like you mentioned a social um lack of social uh, connection is number one issue most of the remote workers have uh, like doing uh having several uh, case studies and um surveys done like for past several years they always show this is one of the main reasons with this kind of approach it kind of improves that like especially so that's a very good point Simon thanks again for coming to Inside Remote it was great talking with you can you tell us a little bit more where can people reach you I think just um, on Twitter um, at uh, Simon Harra great thanks Simon so you know where you can reach him and ask him any questions about remote mob programming he will be happy to answer them So this was it for this week's episode. Tune in next week where we will be talking with somebody who is a remote work veteran known by his tweet storms about remote work and also CEO of one of the best task apps to doist. Next week we will be talking about interesting and tough topics about remote work where Amir will share a lot of insight on some difficult decisions we need to do when working remotely or running a remote organization. This was all for today and thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you like Inside Remote, you can subscribe to my show on your favorite podcast app. And also thanks everyone for giving us a review on iTunes. I appreciate it a lot. For all who haven't done it yet, I appreciate if you visit Inside Remote on iTunes and give us feedback, since this will help us spread our word about remote work even further. Thanks again and have a great productive day whether you work from home, co-working space or office. Mm-hmm.